away with Redline Theater, the 10,000 horsepower podcast with a need for speed. Ride shotgun on a collision course with sci-fi, horror, and other parts unknown. The brakes are out. The chase is on. So strap yourself in and hang on tight. Your joyride starts at redlinetheater.com. Hi, this is Ross Bain here with Roleplaying Public Radio. This is episode 54, Immerse Me. And, of course, with me is Tom and special guest Caleb. Hey, Ross. Uh, so, yeah. Immerse Me, is that like a demand? Well, that's just what it's the It's pl- honestly the way it's always spoken in our group. Yeah, it is. It usually is. Players just demand that I immerse them in a world of fantasy and action. Usually and usually Ross disappoints and us. I, and uh, <laughs> as the horrible GM that You're is... You're a monster, Ross. Uh, I, 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 I'm a monster. I'm sorry. You're uh, not sorry, though. No, I'm that's not. That's why you're a monster. Because I'm being ironic i don't know uh i'm hipster gm i don't know um so Kill anyways hipsters. uh i remember when we said we were going to be a bi-monthly podcast and then it's been a month well uh we did put that uh interview with jolly blackburn up and uh we are gonna uh, we've had tom will uh yeah i mentioned before i had some uh family yeah. things going on yeah yeah our grandfather's been dying for the past few months yeah so, and he finally did so yeah. i've been very distracted yeah so, um, but, and it was very touching that Ross said, "I can't do this without you." Yeah. Well, no, I can't do. It. We, we can't. We, we are we're, RP- we're we're bros, man. Yeah, we're, we're a team. Yeah, we're a team. Team RPPR and um, all that good stuff. So, right. uh, so he had my back, and uh, I appreciate that. But it's time to get back in the swing sit, of things. You know, back in the saddle. Back in the saddle again. Yes. Um, so, anyways, uh, um, we're, we're well, now we'll we'll start you know uh, doing these more regularly. And um, before we begin, I would like to mention a couple other podcasts that we're going to be playing the promos for during the episode. Uh, Redline Theater, uh, that's a, another Springfield, Missouri podcast uh, by Jim Boltus. Springfield uh, forever. Yes, uh, it's radio hey. theater. <laughs> hey, Maybe not hey, yeah. don't you ever don't you say an unkind word about my hometown? I, I would never. Yeah. Uh, then we have other fellow gaming podcasts, the Drunk and Ugly podcast from uh, RPBR uh, listener Alex Romero, and friends uh, Zero Fortitude. Uh, then uh, there's another one, po- a Booster Pack, uh, which Cody is involved with, and they're doing some actual plays as well. Um, and then finally, I would like to mention the RPPR Community Actual Play Podcast. Uh, it's been very active lately. Uh, we have a massive Nihilothetip campaign, uh, uh, Eclipse Phase, Fiasco, uh, Road Trip. Uh, you know, a great Wait, masterwork. Wait, isn't that the game you wrote, Ross? It is the campaign I wrote. So uh, if you are a rabid fan of actual, podca- uh, actual play podcasts, and I know many of you out there are, uh, give the RPPR community a, 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 a fellow podcast, or give them a listen too. Um, so, anyways, uh, in this I- I episode, we're going to be talking about uh, game design, adventure design, and immersion, both in the system and how to deal with breaks in immersion, both as a player and how to deal with players that uh, feel that their immersion is broken, so broken that they must stop the game and argue for oh, a yeah. while. So, yeah. um, so first off, we have Caleb here. Yeah, uh, Caleb, say something to the yeah. well, here. I'll. Here, let Rotate. it. Like, you can talk when I turn this. Yes, oh, exactly. Thank, thank you. Um, um, Sam, move, move, move the mic a little closer to him. You can. You've there you revealed go. Revealed our budget problems here at our <laughs> <PR> headquarters. <laughs> yeah, because um, actually thousands of miles below the Earth's crust. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, 
Yeah, Caleb's been you, you've been very popular uh, with your first two uh, runs as GMs on the Actual Play podcast. Thank Andrew's you, Fortune. everyone, for your kind words. Yes, Andrew's Fortune, uh, Dirty World, and then more recently, Bryson Springs, a Call of Cthulhu adventure, which has got a bunch of comments on the main site, including, and that's not counting the discussion on the forums. Um, and so, if you're a big fan of Actual Plays, Thanks. I definitely recommend that because um, I played in it as Sheldon Baker, ace reporter for the LA Times, and it, it was very fun. You were really more of an insanity connoisseur yeah. than an ace reporter. Well, what do you mean? I got the story. You know. Yeah. At the expense of your mind. Well, uh, not all of it. I mean, and I, everyone's around you. But, well, hey, could you read this? You, you were the <laughs> oh, yeah, Call of Cthulhu equivalent of pull my finger. Uh, <laughs> This is true. That's true. I was kind of a dick. I just, like, yeah. Oh, this made me crazy a little bit. Uh, well, maybe what happened if he does it? It's well, I mean, scientific method. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, we'll so first off, why, why don't we talk, uh, Caleb? You know, the, you actually. Uh, I don't know if the listeners are aware of this. Uh, Bryson Springs, you actually didn't even have the Call of Cthulhu book to write it. You just used the free Quick Start PDF rules uh, to write it. And, uh, the, well, yeah, uh, they're, they're really yeah. good rules. Yeah, they are. The, the reason why Call of Cthulhu has been around for so long, um, I actually did hear that they're going to release the seventh edition soon, and the rules are pretty much going to be the same. So, um, and you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But why don't you talk a little bit about how you design Andrew's Fortune, um, you know, the the Noir game and Bryson Springs, and sort of what you've learned about adventure design since then? Uh, Andrew's Fortune, I just kind of took the. Um something meets something approach to writing and so i i did uh an andrew vox novel called haiku and then i'd been watching a whole lot of the wire uh so i kind of fused those together because uh, i thought a dirty world was i, I was really new, really new to gaming uh dirty world was my favorite system that we played so far so uh i wanted to do that and so I modernized it. I started off on a program called Lucid Chart, which is free online. And I did a flow chart before everything else. Um, so I started with the goal, which was obviously Andrew. Mm-hmm. And then I, I made it so I had one, only one path to get to the goal mm-hmm. so I could control things easily. But then every branch after that, I tried to make as complicated as possible. Uh, and I, I could give you the pdf we could throw it up yeah no that would be great Uh, i think that'd be a great bonus and it's uh it's it's pretty you know it's like cthulhu's tentacles uh there's arrows going everywhere uh and i wanted to give everybody as many options as i could to get to the uh, actual goal that said it ended up like taking two and a half to three weeks to write the damn thing and while it was a good fun game um definitely uh definitely wanted to speed that up um, so you felt like you over-prepared a little bit for it? Oh, yeah. There were huge swaths of stuff that, like, even with six players that we never got. Okay. We never um, touched. So, Do you think, um, of course, that that's sort of the, uh, one of the main things about game design is that you, there's, there's a major difference between writing a game for yourself and writing a game for publication. In publication, you kind of have to take that more exhaustive approach. Uh, but when you're writing a game for yourself, you know, it, you only uh, need to design what's actually going to be played. Of course, the great thing about gaming is you, you, you're not going to be exactly sure of what that is, uh, which you find out in Bryson Springs. <laughs> I, I, I did. So Bryson Springs, I did the flowchart, but Andrew's, Andrew's Fortune almost went into a third session. So yeah. we were at like the long end of six hours. So I definitely cut back on the complexity and the amount that I prepared even though I still wrote like nine pages for it. And while the, while it worked out, 
uh, especially considering I was new at the system, the the way it worked out, I I never could have predicted it. In a, you're a talking about Bryson Springs, yes, Bryson Springs. So uh, my lack of preparation definitely had a. I was more on my skates during that episode, trying to make things up on the fly. Like I never intended to t- kill the uh, sheriff, mm-hmm. but. I had two player characters locked in a room <laughs> with no escape, uh, so I had to figure some way to motivate them out of there. Uh, I never anticipated the beatdown in the Hooverville rather than, you know, actually interrogating <laughs> them, but Professor Badass would not be designed. Uh, he wanted to get tenure at Whoop-Ass University. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it, it worked out, but uh, I definitely felt my lack of preparation and a little more anxious that game. Um, if you're so, if you're going to approach a scenario now, like what would you do in terms? Like what would you do differently now from Andrew's Fortune, Bryson Springs? Like would you? How would you change your approach? Or like what have you learned in terms of uh, design? Because you've designed a few adventures since then too. Yeah. Right? Um, I'm I'm sticking with the shortened uh, web of deceit for mm-hmm. the little flow chart. I like to start off with that though, uh, and but I'm just I'm going to write more uh, extensively on the NPCs within that flowchart. Because okay. I, I kind of flubbed both on Bryson Springs, and I don't think you can do that. Yeah. Um, so, well, what do you mean? Like, how do you feel like you flubbed it? I mean, I, I mean, I didn't notice as a player. Well, like, I... I uh, let's get behind the black Sentence box. fragments, yeah. you, know, you know, stuff that would just remind me in the writing. Mm-hmm. And Andrew's Fortune, I wrote absolutely everything. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there were a lot of different points on that flowchart that I had to examine and then location plays a huge part in games too like whatever sandbox you're throwing people in the plan yeah. so uh I, I wrote a lot for that and and andrew's fortune as well bryson springs i really just wrote up the locations a lot as for the npcs i wrote little sentence fragments reminders of what they look like and then uh, i had the flow chart for how they were related and we just went and yeah. while it, i prepared it a lot faster it was uh you know i had a Stay on my toes, that one. Dinner, yeah. and, a <laughs> Dinner and a show. Uh, yeah, that wasn't scripted. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I assumed they would meet the Kellys, the, the main cult family, yeah. otherwise, and get their idea. But I had to make the Kellys, like, really active, as opposed I I thought they would be found earlier. But, yeah. you know, uh, I'm really glad I rolled Amnesia for Aaron, because that worked out as a great plot device to... Yeah drag his ass to the climax uh i don't think you would have had much problem either way i think aaron was as soon if aaron would metagame to get there i mean one yeah. way or the other if nothing else because i think his character is very was very not going to be you're right it wouldn't be denied so you had that going <laughs> for it. yeah yeah this is true um now you also talk about you know you you didn't base the uh the monster in Mer- in uh, uh Bryson Springs on any specific Cthulhu mythos entity you're just going for the sort of thematic feel for it so did what'd you do for that uh, uh I know you mentioned this to me earlier before you know before we start recording so like why don't you talk a little bit about that um well to me the mythos is pretty at least in terms of like translating it into a role-playing game not yeah. to discount lovecraft or anything you know yeah. it's pretty complex but in a role-playing game it seems pretty simple scary shit <laughs> give it a really really old history and uh you'll know, give it a trail of people who are broken or dead because of the scary shit uh, right and then that's how you lie link them together you have really scary thing really old place where it comes from and then a trail of dead and insane people 
linking the two. The little breadcrumbs. Yeah, and that's that's mm-hmm. what the investigators find. Uh, so I read this Thomas Ligotti story, which name eludes me, but it's in uh, the book Teatro Grotesco, where it, you know it's a typical Thomas Ligotti story. There's you know a pharmacist who hates his job and a crazy haunted house, and the haunted house glows, and this life-size marionette doll comes in and like asks like gives him leaves for money and the guy you know is disturbed about the nature of yeah. the universe and time and then it leaves uh yeah i'm like well that could be scarier and then <laughs> uh i looked up the origin of puppets and uh puppetry is traced back to the shang dynasty and uh uh you know which is like 1046 bc or something in china uh, and I'm like, well, that's really old, and life-size <laughs> puppets are really scary, so we'll just attach them together. Um, well, I think so, yeah. that, that that's one uh, uh, good thing for any GM to think of is that, especially for your home games, if you're not trying for publication, um, rip off stuff and, and you know, re- reshape it to fit your game. I mean, he took the Thomas Ligotti story and said, oh, well, I can make this scarier. And so that's what he did. I mean, you take that base idea and then you twist it around so you can make, you know, aliens only instead of acid blood. They have something else, you know, you know, different shape and slightly different behaviors. Um, you know, maybe take aliens and combine them with like a real world parasite, like some of those weird insect parasites that mind control the things they, uh, uh, which is what I did for my next game. Thanks Ross. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You really just, (laughs) wow. Owned right in on it. Total lack of originality. That's my secret folks. (laughs) Well, I've, that's been something I've, I've always been creeped out. Like there's one parasite in particular called the Saculina. I probably mentioned on the episode before on, on the podcast before where they infect crabs and what they'll do is they'll uh, force the crabs to do what they want, and they'll like force the crabs to actually mutilate themselves, like rip off their own arms, and like uh, take care of the parasites' prey or uh, young eggs, and then like you know kill them. Um, so that like that's really creepy. So um, yeah, but I mean, there's tons of alien things out there, and that you can use for uh, inspiration. So um, any other things about your approach so far, or that you know what you've learned from you know uh, play testing, basically? Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm getting interested in the nerdy side of stuff, uh, yeah. so I'm I'm gonna try and do weirder things. So now, hopefully everyone can see me fall on my face <laughs> in the next few actual playcasts. But uh, so like I got a lot of comments on Bryson Springs, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, especially the I really like the comment that said that you told the characters you were ter- they were terrified, and you can't do that because that's role playing their characters for them. And I thought that was really interesting, and I totally understand that. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that's a philosophical question. Like, where do your emotions come from? Yeah. Because like, I told them they were scared. I didn't tell them what to do about it. Like, right. they could man up. They could piss themselves. They could, you know, do whatever they wanted. Um, well, for Agent Filigree, I, there's I, no choice. Yeah, Jack Filigree would just kill it with his eyes. Uh, uh, fucking puppet. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But uh, I mean, I would choose piss myself and run away. Oh, uh, well, one thing. Um, about that, like, you know, that that I feel like you don't choose your emotions. I mean, like, you know, you, you do have conscious control. You do have free will. But, like, if you're afraid, you're afraid. That's an instinctive thing. I mean, you know, that, that kind of happens. But, um... Yeah, I don't think there's an answer to it. I think yeah. it goes much deeper than, you yeah. know, who's in control of your emotions, you know. And, yeah. Uh, I think that's a deeper question than in yeah, role-playing RPG. podcast. Uh, but, 
I, I, I thought that was an interesting mechanic, so I'm going to try and build something with that in there. Uh, one thing, I, one question, actually, as a game design question, um, that I, I haven't asked you about yet, but I'm very curious about, is you know you had pregens for Bryson Springs, um, and one of them, you you know, you had the reporter, you had the professor who was there by coincidence. The reporter was there because he was looking to investigate. Uh, then you have the FBI agent who's sent there, but then you had. Uh, the other player character, a mafia hitman who was arrested by the FBI agent. Now, why did you have him? Because I could see that being, you know, with our group, we, we handled it, you know, easily. And the player, David, you know, loved it. You know, he was very into the game. But, like, I could see some players, you know, would really hate that to have their character be start the game in handcuffs. You know, so why? What? Uh, what was your thinking on that one? Uh, it wasn't okay uh, because you know that would be like terrible. Like if I tried to run that at a con, yeah, I would. You know, when they found my corpse on the table, <laughs> uh, they all, all that was left was a bloody stone. Yeah, nobody, nobody in the world would convict him. But uh, I don't know. I was thinking from a more cinematic perspective. I mean, I my favorite horror movies or scenarios are the one where uh, not only are the main characters. Uh, you know, not working together at the start. They're actively opposed against each other. But, you know, they encounter something so, you know, mind-numbingly terrible, they have to join forces. And I I loved the way that worked. I couldn't be happier with the way that worked out in our our personal game. Like, now, from a game design perspective, I'm probably just begging to get in trouble. But the fact that, like, David was caged up for the majority of the game... And then he comes out, and then everyone is running away trying to save themselves in the in the finale. And David just, like, mans up and, like, attacks the <laughs> demon thing with a knife and gets his face horribly burned. And he is the, you know, the and white... But got, got to leave with the money. And the Thompson. Uh, you know, he's the white knight of the scenario. I just thought that was, you know, in terms of a character arc, was fantastic. Now, at the end, I, I just handed back his... Thompson. Oh yeah, yeah, that was wonderful. Uh, so it, it worked out exactly as I wanted it to work out, but I think I just got really, really lucky yeah. in that regard. So, so you think if you're going to run Bryson Springs, for example, at a convention, or uh, if you're writing it for publication, you'd have like everyone to be more or less equal in terms of like starting out, like all FBI agents or something like that. Well, if I was writing for publication, I think I'd la- include it in there. Um, yeah, but I, you know, like so, you I had more people in there, like. Uh, the FBI guy had a partner originally. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I, I would never play a Call of Cthulhu mission with like seven people. God, that'd be yeah, kind of a nightmare. Yeah, group. Well, you you can do certain like we, so we maybe talking, if you need like a fifth or a sixth guy, yeah. you you throw in a prisoner and like that's what you get for showing up late. Right. I mean, I think I mean we we talked about this in previous episodes. I think it kind of depends on the type of scenario. If you're doing like a zombie survival horror thing where the whole thing is like run, shoot, and make quick decisions, and yeah. some players you could do because you could always off one pretty easily and like eh, you know, you may, you turn left when you should have turned right. You're surrounded, and you get eaten by zombies. Yeah. But like an investigation, you know that that's a different thing where mm-hmm. there's a mystery because then there's too many people. Um, doing that so um, now we also have another you know Call of Cthulhu designer here in oh, terms yeah. of Tom you know uh, with his Divine Fire trilogy uh, now was Divine Fire the first one Call of Cthulhu adventure you wrote or was that the first one it's the first one I ever wrote okay so yeah. and that's gotten you know obviously a very good response as well so like what was your design process oh, you know, we fir- have the flow yeah. charts on here but actually yeah. the first thing I write down on paper is the the plug sentence okay like in one sentence, describe what's going on. Okay, like that's a the, log line for a movie. You know. Yeah, that's the first thing I think of. And so in this one, you know, for the Divine Fire Part 1, it was people stuck in a Nazi research base in the mountains during a snowstorm. 
Okay. So you start with that evocative image. Is mm-hmm. that something you always do, or is that? Yeah, it's pretty much for every scenario I do. Okay. Um, so how did it go from there? Do you just well, build up from that? I have a pro- I have this. I have a thing where, um, kind of, you know, I design something, but it's always me centric mm-hmm. when I design a scenario. So what I write. What do you mean by that? I have my own personal view of what's cool and what's going to be a great scene. Okay. And so I always write it that way. All right. So, um, you know, like in the first one, like, oh, like, yeah, it's the first time, you remember the first time I ran it, it was a squad of German soldiers. Right. And uh, it's because, like, oh, that'd be, you know, just because you're, oh, you're playing Germans now. Mm-hmm. Not, not World War I Germans where it was more ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. You're horrible Nazis. But, <laughs> okay. you know, it's like, you're going in there, you're under orders, and, oh, yeah, and one of them is actually an SS guy who was sent in, you know, just to observe this whole situation, maybe take charge if he had to. But the way, it, you know, the way it worked out, when you're a bunch of, when you're a squad of soldiers with already an established, you know, line of command, and you're all heavily armed, the survival, you know, the horror part's kind of lost. Okay. So, really, I only learn the mistakes of the game when I finally run it for a group that isn't made up of entirely me. Right. So, that's, you know... Um, well, that's an interesting thing, because I always feel like, you know, the adventures I write uh, or that I create are the ones I want to play in. Now, I mean, I try and keep it varied, of course, but, um, I, I mean, that's kind of interesting to find out of, like, how much do you focus on your personal taste and how much do you, you consider the audience, well, the players in this case? I consider them, but also I just consider they're going to find it as cool as I do. Okay, so you okay, all right. It's and it's really like after the after the session, you know, after that for the I ran the whole thing the first time. Yeah, it went very well, but then you then all suddenly everyone had constructive criticism, mm-hmm. and I do okay. Yeah, I have a thing. I'm not immune to it. In fact, I take it in very greatly. Just, yeah. And as I was driving home that day, I'm like, oh my god, I could have done this better and this better. Why didn't I do this? Okay. And so really, I mean, it was so much that I know now I can make this even way better. So I had to run it again. Okay. Yeah, we did do the the two plays. And it really did. You know, this time playing prisoners being sent there. Yeah. You know, so it just, it worked out so much better. And I lo- the second run was exactly how I would want it to go. Okay. Well, I mean, in terms of like building the camp and you, you set it up, you know, like Caleb, he did a very like, both his scenarios have been very like plot mystery mm-hmm. focused. You know, there was an ongoing mystery and you had to solve it. That was the central mm-hmm. action. And this one, Divine Fire 1, is very much a location-based thing. Yeah. You're in this place. I did, yeah, I did. I designed, I designed the whole thing. There's base. a mystery there, but it's you, you could even ignore it if, it, mm-hmm. you, you, if you just wanted to survive. So. Yeah. I, uh, no, I designed, yeah, I did design the whole base. Okay. And um, the first time around, I went crazy nuts on what was in every building and every room. Okay. I had it written down, like, okay, the main command building, the first floor is the main foyer. The, like, the main front door is, bolt, is locked, but there's a body frozen against it. And there's, the back door has a tripwire. Then I, I go up to the second floor, which had the colonel's office. Yeah, yeah. You know, the guy frozen in, you know, dead slit wrists in the frozen bathtub. And, you know, so I first, the first thing I did, I wrote out everything that was in every single building. Yeah. The next thing I did was that now then I list list a, just a list of crazy shit that could happen because the first time especially I ran it it was and the place is manipulating your mind trying to do right. what you want what it wants you to do so I just I just created a whole list of just weird shit I could throw and out. those were independent of the location you could throw yeah, them in or I could throw them any, anywhere okay um, so you, you could no matter what the players did you had something to use at mm-hmm. them so use for yeah. them yeah I mean so. and some things I could predict players like when there's a radio there yeah. And one of the players did have electronic repair. Yeah. I knew he would, you know, someone would try to fix the radio. 
Okay. So I definitely plan around that to have any other things like that. I mean, um, I know I knew people would, uh, you know, when they, you know, they, of course they would, you know, I knew they would encounter the, the German private at some point. Right. The so one who is still alive. Yes. And so that's why I had him having all the guns. Okay. And the players would be drawn to him regardless, because if if there's one thing that PCs do, it's that they get weapons whenever they can. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what the scenario. You could be playing My Little Pony, you know, <laughs> and, you know, in... I kill a pony, take a horn. Yes. I stab something with it. Exactly. You know, or the ponies are like, or the players of the ponies, and they're like, oh, we kill the soldiers and take their guns. But you're, you're, yeah. you don't have hands. Yeah. Now, and, also, and also, another thing in the first Divine Fire, I didn't really have to do too much for the monsters. Yeah. Because most of them were just effed up versions of things that already exist. Well, what do you mean? You know, there's you know there's rats that are now about the size of a small dog. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And you know there was uh, well the the captain and the horse. Well, one thing um, you know Caleb talked about you know he, when he was designing the monsters for Bryson Springs, he came up with he took the idea from atomic you know the short story, uh, but he had the idea of the puppets marionettes, mm-hmm. and he kept to that theme very consistently uh, yeah. with the ideology. Yeah, I, of the I had my own. Okay, so how did what my, was, yeah. mine? Mine was you know normal creatures, you know people, animals, just warped beyond all recognition by. Okay. In the first game, it wasn't. It was just the artifact. I didn't even have a clue what it was. Right. But yeah, the second time around, like I like yeah the like a uh, some kind of nuclear reactor built off of blueprints that were over four thousand years old. Again, also going back to the old monsters old. plus old scary stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and um, so yeah, that you know then divine divine fire two, I actually designed it and let it run as it went. I didn't. I didn't want to change anything. Okay, well, Divine Fire Two, you, you mentioned that, and that's that's a that's more like one of Caleb's adventure. That's more of a a plot focused mystery where mm-hmm. the idea is to find. Actually, kind of like Andrew's Fortune, you're trying to find a person. Yeah, you're trying to find. You know, in this case, uh, Kohler, the the, the German grub from first one. Um, so, did you use a flowchart like Caleb did, or did you? What, what was actually, your actually? Yeah, I did, I did. I did a flowchart on who on how everyone was connected to everyone else. Okay. You know, first every starts with you know Kohler. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, actually who he would contact, which was his sister and her husband. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, who, like, which contact would lead you to what other contact. Yeah. And, uh... So that was, it was not, like, the actions in the game. It was the the relationships between NPCs. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also, and also eventually leading you from Germany to finally France, where it ended up. Okay. So was there just the one, um... So you just did one flowchart then? Yeah. Okay. Um, but so, mainly, it's mainly, and the whole. But to me, the idea was keep it to like a 1950s Cold War spy movie, right? With just some monsters in it. Okay. In fact, really, there were only two. There was Grunfeld and uh, then uh, the the thing that was summoned at the end. That was Asathoth, wasn't it? Or was it? Yeah, actually, it was. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, uh, but of course, you were you were locked in a bunker then. I was just, I was hoping I was tempted that someone actually would actually lift up one of the viewports. I thought somebody did. I forget. I don't know. I don't think one of the players did. Oh, uh, okay. I thought yeah. one. Of, I thought Jason or Aaron did, but maybe that was just my. Well, Jason was already. Uh... Yeah. Okay, actually, but the second part, yeah, the, the Jason interrogation scene, I did think of that up entirely on the spot the second time around. Okay, so again, you have to improv something. So yeah, like, I, were there, uh, you know, like, uh, there were obviously some uh, unexpected turns in, you know, Caleb's oh, games. Yeah. So what about you? Like, what was the most unexpected thing, and how did you deal with it? Well, actually, okay, I admit, uh, Aaron surprised me by being really assertive and like, no, I'm going to crash the truck to get the ghoul out. <laughs> All right. Um... 
Yeah, that was pretty. Uh, uh, yeah, Aaron is deve- you know the of beginning you, of Professor Madass. Let me tell you, you really, you really enjoyed playing an agent that belonged to a totalitarian regime. Well, yeah, I mean, threatening people with Siberia, you know, yes. for any you fail the skill check, Siberia uh, was pretty entertaining. Uh, I, have to I mean, be- if I ch- I make a few minor changes if I were to run. So, what game. have you learned in terms of just an overall adventure design, like scenario design and immersion? Like, I think the main of the, the important thing is. Is uh, well, first of all, you know, I, I am more of an action-oriented yeah. GM. Yeah. But I'm really trying to you know go outside my comfort zone, which is what I would did with that one. With the because it was well, a divine plot fire two. It was two because that was more of a plot. An investigative. Yeah. Mystery. And that one, I, I kind of learned like what I really need. You know, I need I had to get the clues down better. Yeah. You know, I had to make them clearer, easier to find, and also plan ahead so that. It's not so if you fail a spot hidden roll, then you're just going to miss the most vital clue that, that in right. the scene. Have you, uh, you know, you should try and run a gumshoe game, you know, Fear Itself mm-hmm. or Trail of Cthulhu, because that's the whole system is designed to prevent that since clues are gathered automatically. It's how you interpret them. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we, I've run a few games of that, but. Uh, and uh, anyway, also, I've now, yeah. I've been recently designed Divine Fire Part 3. Yes, uh, we actually play tested that once, and that you know, that actually okay, okay. yeah. The thing is, I made a lot fewer mistakes than I made in Divine Fire One. Okay, I did redesign it, but that was only because. But I made there was just some that it was a few changes that would just made it so much better. Okay, you know, not, well, why, think, don't you, why don't you talk about like first the play test of it? So. Well, the play test actually I thought went very well. It was um, yeah modern day yeah, and uh, it's you know the, a friend of the friend of the, a friend of the players disappears, and he was writing a new book. Right, which was entitled uh, "Divine Fire: The True Secret of the Nazi Nuclear Weapons Program." Right, and and it was basically his friend unfortunately found something about yeah 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 divine fire. So uh, yeah, I'm, of course I'm going to run it again and re- have it's going to be posted. So I'm not going to give everything away, but right. But yeah, that was the one thing you said you didn't want me to post the the, the recording. Right, because I like you no, wanted to no, start no, no, I, that was vi- that, that session was vital to me, and that's really the best way I learned. Yeah, is. I will take an unfinished system and just play test it, and then pretty much everything I need I need to fix, I find out immediately. Yeah. With this group. Yeah. Um, and what, what was the what was the problem? I mean, what, you don't have to you know spoil it, but what, okay. Well, the biggest problem I had is it's you pointed it out. Yeah. Was the spooky shit? Some spooky shit needed to happen earlier. Right. Because it was pretty much just you know follow some follow a list of clues back and forth to get you to where you need to go. Yeah. Which uh, I mean, it was. I thought as Caleb said good. It was pretty good investigation, but nothing really creepy happened. Right. And you, I, ne- I needed to put in some creepy at the you know closer to the beginning. Right. Yeah, you know, and that's really what I needed to change. And I thought of a perfect way to do it. Just like no. Right. Wait. It's essentially this one one particular. Scene did you flowchart it again? I did. You did. I did. Okay. I did flowchart it, and this time it's more. It's yeah. You know, it's once again. It's a following the clues and the the wit and the experts and the witnesses to where you, to get to from A to B. Right. Um, so yeah, that, I mean that's a very uh, uh, you know playtesting is obviously important, and not every scenario is going to work out. I mean, we could have finished at the conclusion. I mean, but I think, it, after I realized, yeah. I mean, at the end of that session, I realized I cannot possibly let this stand, right? Because I can this. You can this, do it better. Yeah, this would be a mediocre session at best for me. I think I can make it a really good set you know, game if I made the changes. Right. So that's what I want to do, and. I'm actually I'm not in the least bit shy of running a game that's not quite finished with mm-hmm. this group, because I know by the time I finish running this part, the, that one part, I'm mm-hmm. going to know exactly what I need to do to finish it. 
Right. There you go. Um, I think, you know, if you're in a, in a role playing group that's fortunate enough where you can do that, you, you count yourself lucky that you, know, you can, you can perfect your, your work and you understand, learn from your mistakes and, uh, uh, learn from your experiences. Now, um, you know, I, I've talked about my approach to running adventures, uh, in the past, so I'm not going to go over it in like great detail, but it's kind of funny. It's funny because I don't flow chart, you know, I have in the past, but I don't as a rule, one thing, because I'm usually running a campaign game. Uh, but I do what I call the ecosystem approach where I think of who all the, I mean, it, it's a way of doing the flow chart is I think of every NPC, every relevant, uh, actor in the, in the, in the game and what they're trying to do. And then I f- have them fill out their agenda. Okay. Well, they're going to be doing this. They're going to be doing this, blah, 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 blah. And then when the players go in, you know, they see what's going on and they interact with everything. And then I see how the NPCs will then react to them. Now, in terms of a mystery, um, what I do is I figure out what the crime was, what clues were left behind, and then I work back from there. Um, so I don't actually get as far as you know flowcharting it out, but it's sort of, I guess, a similar process, is you have to understand the relationships between... I mean, the core of it is you have to understand the relationships between all the NPCs and the locations and the clues, especially um, in, in a very plot-focused game. Now, if you're doing an action game, it's not necessarily as mm-hmm. important. If the PCs don't necessarily understand every bit of the villain's scheme as long as they know as Mendoza is bad and has to be shot because he killed Scoey, you know, mm-hmm. um, and whatever else. So, or, uh, yeah. so, or Sos is taking your criminal empire. Yeah, exactly. And you have to, and you have to kill them all. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think that that's kind of the, uh, the overall, uh, uh, idea is that you have to understand what's going on because if you don't understand it, your players certainly won't. So, um, yeah. Uh, Caleb, you said you had something to say or, uh, well, I, I think playing to your strengths is pretty massively important, too. Yeah. I mean, like, so I don't run... I've only run two games, but I don't run action games because I'm shitty at doing combat. Like, I'm mm-hmm. shitty at playing combat. I'm shitty at rolling. Uh, <laughs> shitty at keeping track of it. Like, I, I rely on Ross and the rules lawyers to get me through combat <laughs> phases of games because yeah. I just don't don't know that. So, like, if I, if I would say, like, if you want just, you know shit and blood and hellfire and you just wanted to you know hit hit, yeah yeah if you if you wanted to gaga 2.0 you want to hit the fan and just say okay have a grenade uh i wouldn't flow chart anything i mean you know play to your yeah it plays to the genre too yeah Um, uh i think and, and i really promote the whole you know something meets something approach because you know scenarios i've thought out that aren't at least some way inspired by some form of other popular entertainment, I, I can't imagine us actually playing and getting through, um, because I, I just think they're going to be too weird and. Do you mean like license games? No, I mean like uh, coming up with your plot, something just whole cloth, like just yeah. noir out of noir. Like you yeah, know yeah, what the yeah. genre is, and you're just going to write something completely original. Like if you can do it, that's great. But like, yeah. I feel like the whole uh, aliens meets ice storm or. Uh, Cthulhu monster in a Steinbeck novel, which was my Bryson Springs inspiration. <laughs> yeah, or I feel like that's good because you at least give somebody a common the players a common vocabulary yeah. to start off with, right? And then from there they can make their own original story. So, yeah. whereas if I was like writing a book or something, I'd feel awful doing something like that. I, I'm, I'm kind of comforted by it. 
in a role well i think i think the problem i mean that is that is a good one good approach and if that's what you're comfortable with that that the the problem is if you try to lean too heavily on your source material because there are oh yeah you don't want to do that yeah because i mean you got to give the players room to actually you know put their own stuff into it you know put their own work into it you know because if you if you rely too heavily say on like a king arthur type thing then like if the players aren't king arthur then they have to sit back and let king arthur and all his you know knights do all the fun things well with the mixing influences thing it's yeah. more of a it's more of a it's a more is more philosophy like the yeah. more crap you put in the more original it's going to be like if you're mixing yeah Weird genre with weird genre with weird genre. It's going to be kind of unrecognizable. Yeah, as comments for something whole cloth. So uh, that's something I've been trying to do. Too. And one thing but, you know, Tom mentioned uh, um, his. Uh, well, actually, this is for Caleb. Um, uh, Tom mentioned you know he designed adventures that he would want to basically play in. And, you know, the stuff that he thinks would be awesome. So, uh, and because of that, in the Divine Fire One, you know, he didn't have the ability to. You know, he had to get feedback in order to realize, oh, this would be even better. So, like, I mean, like, what about you? I mean, from my perspective, I run adventures that I'd want to play in. I mean, that, I mean, and other than that, though, I'm not, like, too fixated on my own stuff. I mean, I, I mean, I obviously do have reoccurring themes that I hit too much, you know, like Undead, you know, <laughs> you know, but. No, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> um, Monsters. <laughs> well, actually, that well, yeah, that's for you, Tom. But I mean, like for you, Caleb. I mean, what do you? What about you in terms of like, um, you came up, you know, Cthulhu meets Steinbeck. Like, was that because you know you've been, yeah, uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm an English teacher, so yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Steinbeck. I don't know. I don't know what I like to play yet because I'm so new. I mean, I play, I, I played like two games of D and D in all of high school, and then didn't play at all. And, yeah. My first game ever was Aaron's The Haunting. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, re- really, I had never played a great Call of Cthulhu. Have we put game. that on the main podcast yet, or if that, that is that just? I think for that was a uh, ransom, ransom one. Yeah, for yeah, Aaron's ransom. If you want to hear that? Yeah, I need to put that online. I think I'll put that Kit online. Kit Tomlinsonberg, yes. my first character with the little Crusaders champ. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, but so I didn't really play a great Call of Cthulhu game, and I thought the I thought the Dirty World game we played though was awesome. Um, so that's definitely why it was the first game I wrote. But uh, yeah, I don't know what character I like to play. I couldn't characterize it. Uh, well, I mean, in terms of adventures, when you're writing an adventure, like yeah. what do you? So you I have, guess investigative's more my style, uh, yeah. just because you know, like I said, shitty at combat. I, yeah, yeah. I prefer figuring out the story and having player interaction than to like it you might be, blow up thing. You know, Tom mentioned stuff. you know going outside his comfort zone. You know, doing things that he wasn't you know as comfortable doing so maybe for you like your next adventure should be an action scenario and like maybe try and think ways around the action but not combat you know per se well that's what i tried to do in uh the wild talent scenario we're gonna okay. Try and run uh, okay so we'll see how that it's, works it's a crawl like because yeah. you know it's just it's just a crawl i don't know if it's gonna work or if i tpk everybody because i'm nice. not good at balancing but uh we'll see we'll see if it works uh nice uh, so we'll have to see that on the podcast, and you guys will see it in 2018 because I'm so far behind in the podcast. <laughs> um, now we also talk, you know, about one thing. So you know, our episode titles immerse me, and so we talked about how to create immersion through you know mm. adventure design. I'm sensing a yeah. uh, what if the immersion's too great? Right. Well, or not enough. Or I not mean, enough. Yeah. There, there's a lot of. Uh, 
you know, challenge is both once you create the adventure, how do you keep the players immersed in it? And if you're a player, you know, what do you do when the immersion's broken? And um, Are you referring to an incident? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the impetus <laughs> behind this is behind um, a recent episode of uh, Wild Talents that we haven't posted yet because uh, it's actually, you know, we had guest player RJ come on. And uh, if you remember him... Uh, you know, from the New World campaign, episode 36 of the New World campaign, he goes into a whole rant about how I'm not role-playing ogres properly. And he does sort of a similar thing in this, epi- in this episode of Wild Talents is that, uh, long story short, Tom's player character is a wanted fugitive. And he gets... Uh, the players get surrounded by the cops. The cops say, you're Tom, you're wanted fugitive. Surrender now or we're going to you know, open fire. And the other players are, you know, they're not wanted on anything. So they're free to leave, but they want Tom to give up. And so Tom gives up. He surrenders. Mm-hmm. And then Tom's character it has superhumanly strong, like, you know, pick up cars and, you know, mm-hmm. kill people with one punch. Um, and so what he does is he, um, they give him a drug that, nullifies his super strength temporarily you know for like 12 hours or something like that just to make sure that he's not going to freak out and kill some cops or tear whatever the car, tear the police car in half right and rj freaks out about this and jason does it to a certain extent because you know tom doesn't you know tom's like fine with it i mean i don't think you you object no it's, it's not that made total sense to me yeah um that i was apparently suspending habeas corpus uh which uh, so the game literally we had like a 20 minute yeah <laughs> Discussion about whether or not this was even legal, and you know, this is a fictional world with superhumans in it. I, I'm actually saying, no, this is totally legal. Yeah, uh, I can totally see this. Yeah, I, 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 my, my point is, the cops are not going to trust a wanted murderer. Uh, they don't use the honor system to make wanted murders with that are Hulk level strong to you know not break out. And uh, if they can help it, so that RJ's immersion was broken. He's also broken because his character failed a trauma check and was scared by something he thought wasn't scary enough to trauma traumatize him. Um, so you know, why don't we talk about system immersion and immersing in the game? Um, I mean, where do you draw the line? What do you do? Uh, that kind of thing. So, well, I mean, yeah, okay. I'll say the thing that he failed the role that he failed the role on. I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm thinking. You know, I freaked out over seeing something in a tank. Yeah, some horrible mutated just thing. Yeah, yeah, floating in this cryogenic tank. I did not. Oh, I, stability. Oh, that's a skill. You need that, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was earlier in the game. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's so that's I, actually. Yeah, but we bit, didn't know. But you're like, no, no. Okay, no, no. That I, was actually. Yeah. Uh, so no, no. I can. I could have changed my character, altered it a little bit, or I could just you know, I get some experience points. No, then I'll be sure to buy some stability next time. Right. The ability to resist being scared, basically. Mm-hmm. Um. That's actually, yeah, one of the things the players, because they were unfamiliar with Wild Talents, they didn't realize uh, in Wild Talents, you, there's, the sanity check is called a stability check, basically, and you need a certain skill to resist that, and no one really had that skill. Because <laughs> we didn't realize it. Yeah, and so everybody was freaked out the first few times they had to make stability but checks. I think everyone in the group, they realized, oh, okay, well, we... But everyone's reaction is, then we, we should buy some stability in it with our experience. So it didn't break the immersion for the system. Like, oh, God, I, I, you know. It actually worked out yeah. character-wise. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, um, yeah, because one in this particular campaign, it would have. Uh, because, you know, your characters were amateurs. Yeah, trying we all to... start off as bungling half-assed superheroes. And then we get shot at and piss ourselves. Like, that, <laughs> it makes sense. It's yeah. how it would happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so I failed my first few stability checks until I put... I, I thought it worked out in terms of our campaign. Right. But, 
But yeah, like the whole Habeas Corpus trauma check issue was ridiculous. I, I remember the first time I watched Alien. Yeah. Uh, you know, Klaxon blaring. Uh, Ripley's trying to get to the escape pod. It could be anywhere. And I remember my mom, because, you know, she's my mom, saying, her hair looks too nice. Look at all that steam. <laughs> It'd be way too... And, like, that was the point my mom fixated on. Like, Ripley's haircut looked too permed in the steam from the long-haul spaceship with gravity with the alien. <laughs> and just totally glossed over that and really... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, really focused on, you know, Sigourney Weaver's roots. And I just felt like we had a 20-minute discussion about Sigourney Weaver's roots <laughs> uh, at, at not being realistic enough. And that's what I've noticed about immersion in games, that it's, it's from a story perspective, because I'm a total noob with RPG, it's just bizarre, the stuff people fi- fixate on. Actually, yeah. Speaking of immersion in Alien, one, thi- one thing I actually bitched about, I thought, okay, the... Um, you know the way to actually activate the uh, uh, the self destruct system on the ship. She had to get a tool, go to like these like five panels in the ground, pull them out of the ground, open them up, you know, adjust some controls to finally activate them. Which that made sense to me. You don't, you don't just want a button that says self destruct. <laughs> yeah. A big red shiny button. <laughs> yes, candy like button. And uh, and of course, and you know the countdown is it's you know the self destruct happens in twenty minutes, but you have ten minutes. A window of ten minutes to turn it off. Like, okay, I even get that, but it's the process to turn it off is longer than this—the one to turn it on. It, I don't know. I don't know why, but I had a huge discussion about that with someone. That was me doing the. I can't get immersed in this. That she has to basically readjust the controls, put the tool in, push them back down, and of course, she you know, by the time she finishes, she's like five seconds past the ten minutes. Yeah. And, you know, she's even screaming, like, I turned your systems back on, mother! Stop it! And, of course, it's like, you know, sorry, like, you know, the cold, you know, the cold female voice of the computer says, the ship will self-destruct in T-minus 10 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there is that. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting you to tie into the, uh, the emotions earlier. You know, can you choose the times when you, you know, uh, obsess over something or not? I mean, like, at a certain point, like... Yeah, I think everybody focus fixates on something like that one time or another. But I mean, like, oh, yeah. I, some people are more prone to it than others. No, I'm not saying like, yeah. like, I'm not saying my mother was wrong that yeah. her hair would look worse, or that the self destructive sequence should be longer, or that the goddess of war shouldn't have, you know, Freaked been out. bothered by that trauma check. Like, I'm not saying those things are wrong. It's just the the fixation upon it gets bizarre. Like, I felt like my character in the Dark Sun campaign was fixated on the fact that I knew absolutely no one. Like in game, and then I would constantly bring up in inappropriate times, like "Who are you people?" Uh, but we, we were player characters, and we we're moving on. I, I just did it for humor. I didn't just stop the game and say like, uh, uh, "Like Bryson Springs." I was very, I was very uh, appreciative of all the firearm comments, and I've, I, I was, you know, I understand that I did wrong on that. And, you know, I hadn't shot any trees lately, and things like that. And they're all very accurate, but. There's so much shit in that game that's inaccurate, like historically, based on physics, you know, just <laughs> and just the fact that we're honing in on like making model of gun, just uh, it's it just it's a weird thing. I think it's unpredictable. I don't think you can plan for it. So. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. I, you definitely cannot plan for it. I mean, I've had everyone, you know, con games and stuff like that. People fixate on the wrong things. Uh, no, like you, yeah. you're the, you're the horrible monster for. Yeah, because right, of- because I can't let diplomacy on other players. Yes, <laughs> uh, but 
but, but the thing you is, can't I, plan for it, but you can deal with it. So I mean, I don't know. Well, we, we brought it up, we fixated, but we didn't, we didn't, you know, latch onto it for like twenty minutes. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm talking the firearm stuff. We commented yeah. on it. But then we moved. We moved on. Well, none of yeah. us were the, the level of firearm experts. I think if one of us was like a gun shop owner, then yeah, I think we might have like mentioned, oh, the buckshot, blah 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 blah, because none of us had the expertise in that given area. But if you know, we were talking about like, oh, you except eagles. Well, yeah, we're except masters de- of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah twin eagles. Um, Only if there's two. Yeah. one we're powerless. <laughs> two, uh, <laughs> two. You know, we are a samurai of deagles. <laughs> right. But, I mean, there are, I think all of us have issues about that we we could spurge out on. You know, if I got the name of, you know, a Steinbeck, you know, a novel wrong or something like that, or, a Kurt, or I got the, the plot of Slaughterhouse Five wrong, then, you know, uh, that could cause some issues. Or if you got issues. a character wrong from the movie Face Off. But I think it's inevitable in gaming that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or I got the gun wrong, you know. Like, what, what's it's, he it's, using? It's a Springfield Armory 45. No, it was plate. a Deagle, Tom. No, it wasn't. Okay, see? Like, I will fucking end you! <laughs> um, the question then becomes, you know, how do you deal with it in the game? You know, either as a GM or as a player. Like, you know, in that situation, well, it kind of dragged think, on. Well, as a GM, I think the first thing, the first thing you should do is, just mention in your head, uh, you know, really, like, is this actually worthy to pause the action in the game to talk about? Right. You know, is this actually something that could kill, you know, kill the story? I think that's, you have to do that in your head, and most GMs can do that pretty quickly. Right. And if it's if you go, no, this is not worthy to pause the game for ten to twenty minutes to talk about it. You just say, all right, well, we'll talk about this later. Right. Yeah, but honestly, okay, if it is something, yeah, yeah, if it is something, I think you know, okay, fine, talk about it. Well, I mean, like in you know, no, in the, okay, in the case like a case of you know, I know like, I've been like, overridden several times with minor things, like you know. Oh, I, well, in the case of like you know, we you know, like, oh, we fail at the stability rules, you know, we run like. We bring it up and it was it's worth talking about. We talked yeah. about it for like two minutes. Yeah. Oh well, then okay. Well, we'll we'll buy some stability dice of stability next when we get with our experience. Right. Right. Um, but I think uh, uh, you know in the habeas corpus case, I mean that was a crucial thing. You know, to represent you know that the the government had some ability to keep superhumans in check, and you know that Tom's character wasn't going to be able to like you know play possum. He wasn't going to be able to bust out later after the other players got away. Mm-hmm. So you know that was that was uh, a, a plot crucial thing. Like so especially I, when it took like four agents to actually carry me to the right because your character's like four hundred pounds. You know, he's like a big massive man bat you know type mm-hmm. creature. So I mean. With that, I wasn't. I mean, there have been times where I back down when I've said this is happening, but no, okay, fine. I know, like uh, in the New World campaign, the players were, you know, attacking this fortress there uh, uh, that the Thieves Guild held, and you guys had an NPC kobold rogue do all disarm all the traps because none of you took, you know, the trap skill to or thievery. Act, thievery to actually disarm traps. None of you, none of mm-hmm. you, not a single one of you out of six characters. <laughs> and so the NPC was doing it, and I said, oh, well, he failed to check. He gets, get, you know, hit by poison gas and he dies. And the player's like, no, 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 you know, we spend like five minutes okay, arguing. We do that, okay, we, we I, okay, I joined in that, but I had an ulterior motive. Yeah. I really like kobolds, and I really like that character. I you didn't... can bring them back to life. Yeah, I know, but that's an con- inconvenience. It costs money. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it just, you guys, like, I mean, technically, by the rules, I wasn't, you know, I can't really just 
instantly kill people in D and D for that for this issue. There's no save or die type things. Yeah, like well, I think we saw. Okay, you know what kind of gases, Ross? Is it a neurotoxin, a hemotoxin, a hematoxin? No, I think it was just yeah. by the rules. It was like, no, even if he did so blah 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 so much damage, he'd have a healing surge left, or he'd be able to do this, or he'd be able to do that, or blah 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 blah. And so it it never it never really stopped, you know. So I just gave in with that. But with the habeas corpus thing, I didn't because. It was. I felt crucial to the plot, and it. it yeah. Just... It, no. 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 I. I know that's exactly what they do. Yeah. So I mean, you know, what do you, I mean? At a certain point, if the player's not going to back down on that, I mean, like, what can you do as a, a GM or as a player? I mean, how do you deal with? Like, Caleb, you haven't really had that, you know, experience yet. I mean, you probably. I know how I would have dealt. With okay, how would you have dealt with uh, the? Inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. Uh, uh, no offense, death. <laughs> Inexplicable, unsavable death. Uh, after minute fifteen of the discussion. And uh, misquoting law books, I would. And you did suggest, all right, we'll talk about this later. And then we proceeded not to talk about it later, but right then, murder. Uh, Meteorite from the sky, (laughs) uh, brain hemorrhage. Uh, Probably a bad idea, but my solution. Actually, I thought thought it was something we could do. Yeah. Go the uh, Jack Filigree approach. Just punch him right in the face. Yeah. uh, And of course, course, and the guy's wearing a holy blessed... You know, yeah, yeah. power fi- like power fist of Odin. Yeah, yeah. It's like no, no, your ass is knocked out. Yeah, ten hard dice of damage to the head. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but luckily, it's all shock damage. Yeah, no. So you're unconscious. No, ten shock damage would still kill you for the head in Wild Talents because you can only right. take eight. Well, just this time, I'm, like, well, it's blessed, so it does one less to kill you. <laughs> oh, I see. It's a merciful weapon. I see. Nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, there there is kind of. Um, well, one thing you also mentioned uh, earlier, but you know, system immersion is kind of a tricky thing to handle, and uh, there's, you know, you can't always control it. Like you were talking about earlier uh, in Dark Sun, you, you felt you were at odds. The rules themselves were sort of at odds with uh, your system immersion because you were playing a fighter, but you weren't acting like a fighter, uh, at least you know according to the way you wanted to role play your characters. Oh yeah, that's my just my shitty understanding of D and D rules. But uh, yeah, I played uh, Dark Sun was all grim and dark, and so I played an objectivist, you know, desert super capitalist. Right. But he was the tank of the group because everyone else was playing like either damage dealers or uh, controllers. Yeah, controllers, and I was supposed to be run in and take the punishment for everybody. But you know what was in it for me? Uh, <laughs> so we were terrible in combat as a result of that. So yeah, it is a really delicate balance between. You know, playing the system to win as much as you can win in a role playing game, and you know, playing it. Do you feel that what, the, you, what your story? I mean, you, you mentioned want. that because it was a class system because of D anD. D. Yeah, know, I felt like there there are specific roles that each character needs to play, mm-hmm. and um, what you know, do you think like uh, in your experience, do any of the other three systems you play, you know, Wild Talents, Dirty Fortune, or Call of Cthulhu, have they had the same kind of problems? I uh, mean, or Eclipse Phase? We've actually we actually have played Eclipse Phase. I'm uh, not. I think Eclipse Phase is pretty well balanced uh, uh, from what we have played of it yeah. so far. Uh, granted, I think Eclipse Phase, if it's going to go Gonzo, is in the tech. Yeah. If you give somebody too much tech, they can get themselves out of anything. Uh, and it becomes the movie Eon Flux. Yeah. Yeah. It really like nanotech. I have dissemblers. My character has dissemblers because if we come against something horrible. I'm dissembling it and <laughs> on a molecular level, and I'm going to walk away. Uh, Real men don't walk away from disassembly. Yeah, so uh, the tech would be where that goes off the rails. Uh, I don't think you can min-max a dirty world. Yeah. 
A Dirty Worlds is a rhetoric system, which is why I love it. You yeah. Know, it's, it's components for arguing with people. <laughs> and I, I think that's why it's fantastic. Uh, and then Call of Thulu, you're so weak. You can't min-max shit. You're, you're, you could be... Jack there actually are, there you are, be a superhero. There, there are barely, ways you know. to do that. I mean, um, it is pretty... Uh, not many, but you can in some ways. Uh, mostly through applications of bombs and, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. having a power of 18 and... Uh, yeah, Yithian. Well, I mean, I'm just talking about normal. Out, out so of the game. Well, you can't get... You can, there's no Yithian lightning guns in the player character armors. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm not smart enough to do that stuff because yeah. I'm, I'm so... It's not very I'm, much. You are right. I mean, characters in Call of Cthulhu are very vulnerable. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm so rules light that I don't, I don't know how to do that. So, um, yeah. yeah, if if anything, being the noob, I go real heavy into story, but real light on actually being effective. Uh, take Lady Gaga, for instance, <laughs> who performed at a club while the heist was going down. Uh, you know, I, I'm more towards the ineffectual characters than anything else right oh yeah let's, let's say like you know, i actually like, i learned a lesson from that from running the cyberpunk game too yeah you have to you have to start at one or two yeah only later do you crank it up to 10 or 11 yeah um yeah i mean that's the thing you you kind of have to there is sort of a build-up in a game i mean games are different from normal linear sims because you don't have one person saying this is the linear arc or this is the character arc i mean you you can have ideas for it like you had the ideas for the hitman's character arc and it worked out that way um but that was totally you know david's choice as a player to do that it could have worked out a totally different way he could have like tried to kill tom you know or something like uh you know, uh, or you could have sided with the cultists. I mean, there are any yeah. number of things. I do, yeah, but you got to say dinner and a show, and that's yeah. what you will be remembered for right now. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it is kind of a, a, a forever a balancing act to keep people immersed in a world, uh, in a role-playing game. Um, so, any final thoughts about this this particular subject in terms of venture design or player dealing with player character, murder, or talk it out, mm. you know? <laughs> Uh, I don't care. I don't care how badass of a GM or a game designer you think you are. Yeah, you'll make a mistake. Yeah, every single time. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, the, actually, the final thing I want to say is, Tom. You know, you mentioned you had that list of things that you could do regardless of the situation, and I, that's one of the things I always do. Is I always come up with like encounter fodder that I could throw yeah. in at any given, you know, like, like I don't know which section they're going to go. If there's a flow chart and there's three, I designed three choices and the players take choice five, you know, then like, Oh shit. You know, they, they walk off the beaten path and I can like, Hey, there's, yeah, like, you know, one was, you know, like, I said, I actually had written down dead guy starts talking to them. Yeah. But I really, I loved it. I got to use it for the Colonel in the bathtub. Right. See, I mean that, and that works uh, or the radio. Right. I, got to, I really, the first time around, I, I think if I were to run part one again, I'd go back to I'd use the radio again. I didn't use it so much in the second set you're running. We had the radio with people pleading for help down in the down in the lab below. Please yeah. let us out. We're not horrible mutated monsters that want to kill you now. <laughs> we're totally trustworthy, guys. Seriously, <laughs> can I sense motive through the radio? <laughs> uh, yeah, and of course, and you know the ghoul, the. Your recurring character. Yes, Grunfeld. Um, all right, so uh, uh, with that cheery note uh, of the, 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 the you know, cannibalistic, you know, human Monster. underground dweller, uh, yeah, we will uh, take a break. Uh, when we come back, Tom will have a letter, and yep. then, of course, we'll have shout-outs and anecdotes and all that good stuff. It'll be wonderful. Yep. I'll fight you every step. No matter what you do 
dear Palladium Games, We've had a good long run, haven't we? We have had great adventures and many hours of excitement, but if you still have any long-term memory left in that rotting-on-life-support brain of yours, you know how that turned out. Yet after all this time, my anger has finally faded, leaving only pity. To make you understand why, I need to go back to the beginning. Once upon a time, way back in 1985, there was a small kid named Tom. He had just left a Catholic kindergarten and was now entering a real public school. No longer stuck in a stifling religious school, he found himself being flooded with light and stimulating ideas. Some of this new light took the form of comic books. One in particular stuck with me, Eastman and Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It resonated greatly with my five-year-old mind. Anthropomorphic turtles who are ninjas fighting other ninjas? It was like a huge piece of awesome cake drizzled in awesome sauce. I fell in love with it, and it was soon my favorite piece of media. And that's when I met you. You walked up to me in the cafeteria one day and said something to me. Do you remember what it was? I do. You said, you like that comic, huh? How would you like to play a game where you are a character in that world? You had me at hello. Soon we were inseparable. We gathered a group of like-minded kids, and soon we were our own clique. We played our characters, and we looked out with disdain at the other groups who weren't with us. We bitched about the kids who played sports, yet we didn't actually say anything to them. You see, they had the power to beat the crap out of us. No, the ones we most derided were the ones who were most like us. The ones who liked to play pretend on paper like we did, but who used a different system. We would shake our heads and say, look at those morons playing D&D. Why would I want to play some elf with a bow when I can play a cheetah with an AK-47? And oh, how we laughed. Sure, a few of us tried the other systems, but we always came back. They were great years, weren't they? We ninjaed and turtled our way through elementary school, reveling in the sheer awesomeness of it. And you even came out with new things for us to pretend. You said, hey, how about we play human ninjas or James Bond? How about superheroes? And then one magical day you said, how about we play, any, play a game where you can play anything you want in a post-apocalyptic earth? And there it was. Every nerdy kid's dream come true. I know how I felt when I started playing. I thought, this is as good as it's going to get. I was sure that this kind of fun would last forever. And then junior high came. I was getting older, and the fun was still there. However, I noticed some of the older kids who were in our group stopped playing. I chalked it up to the siren call of the sports field and girls. But there were rumblings of another sort, whispered rumors of Palladium not being as fun as it once was. I dismissed it, of course, but the doubt remained in the back of my mind. I think I only noticed it myself in high school. The 80s were long gone and the 90s had taken their place. I'd gotten old enough to notice a strong trend. The other systems that I had long ignored were adapting to the times. D&D and White Wolf were coming out with new additions, rules and system changes, and many new source books. Oh, you were still putting out new content, although your release schedule was becoming increasingly unreliable. But worst of all, I noticed that, that your core system wasn't being updated or changed. I thought this a bit odd, but perhaps you didn't know. I and legions of your fans wrote letters imploring you to adapt with the changing times and your older fan base. Imagine our shock when you not only refused us, but openly derided us for daring to question your genius system. That was the beginning of the end, I think. I still thought of you as a good friend, even though my now teenage mind began to play other systems. Yet you got even more strident, accusing your friends of abandoning you. It took me a while, but I had a revelation about you. It was painful to admit, but you had an addiction. You were addicted to your old rule set. 
You were still a fond for fantastic ideas, but your addiction was holding you back. You had a problem, but I and the rest of your friends tried to help. We had intervention after intervention, yet every time you lashed out, utterly convinced you didn't have a problem. Soon your addiction was rendering you incapable of doing your job. Still you were unwilling to let your addiction go. No matter what solution was posted on RPG.net, no matter how many ex-friends complained about you on their blogs, your addiction continued. Finally, I had to let you go. It was a painful thing, but I couldn't be an, an enabler any longer. Any money I gave to you would only make you indulge in your addiction more. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but I did what I had to do. And now look at you. Your addiction has just about killed you. You haven't released any new material. You've withdrawn from public life, and now you lay on a deathbed, a slave to your addiction. Once we were the best of friends, a close group who gamed through thick and thin. Now you are a cautionary tale of addiction and hubris, a warning of what can happen when your pining for your glory days overtakes reality. I must wash my hands of you, Palladium, because I will not be stuck in my own past. As self-help author Wayne Dyer said, stop acting as if life is a rehearsal. The past is over and gone. You are my past, Palladium. You are done. Go. Also, never try to fuck a crying woman holding a harpoon gun. Just a heads up. Just to be who you are, just to get what you have got. I won't accept restraint and I will not hide behind fear. Yeah, I will be afraid, but I'll stand up, I will stay right here. So wait, oh no, 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 you can't go. I thought you said you and we're back. That was a great letter there, Tom. Yeah, so, it wasn't. no, it was. It, well, no, what? no, wait. I'm a genius. Yes, you're obviously a genius, and I'm being very specific yes, when I'm are. referring to the contents of this letter. <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, it's not at all a ninja joke that you, the listener, would ever be on. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, we have shout outs. Uh, Tom, you have the first one. Uh, you mentioned- yeah, actually, uh, first I have a graphic novel that is, yeah. it's not new, but I just recently picked it up. Yeah. At a, it was actually, on, I got it at Borders, our bookstore going out of business. Yes. Yeah, I got a Elephant Men, it's, which is kind of a, uh, you know, future Los Angeles. Yeah, sci-fi. Sci-fi with uh, animals engin- engineered to be, uh, you know, soldiers if they were rescued. And, you know, then sent this, or, and allowed to live out their lives in Los Angeles. And, right. And it's actually really good stories involving these. I've read some, a few issues of it. I haven't, I've heard of it. It's gotten good reviews, too. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like, is that image who puts that out? Who puts I that? I think out? so. Okay, but yeah, it's just them trying to you know just live in yeah live in, live in society. And it's kind of like the one I read was like sort of a noir thing. Like a mm-hmm. guy was a detective or something. The, uh, the hippo. Uh, yeah, I guess. Well, hippo. I uh, hip flask is his name. Yeah, he's the main, probably the main character in it. Okay. Um, but actually, my favorite what I got was actually was called Shock Rock. Okay. It's actually one of them. It's say this Howard Stern guy runs a radio broadcast from this orbiting satellite. Yeah. And they invite one of them on there, who's one of the more psychotic ones, which is this crocodile. Okay. And it's you know they, it's him on this like Howard Stern like show, which is him like, like responding in just two two word sentences, but yeah, they start really pushing him to like come on, come on, man, get crazy, and he does, and it's oh. not nice. <laughs> nice. Um... That was one of my. That was my favorite. The one I got. All right. Uh, my first one will be actually Ian Moody, um, the artist ah. for the New World, uh, and RPP our favorite. Uh, he is uh, coming out with some 
uh, custom dice uh, on Shapeways.com. Shapeways is a 3D printing service, um, so you can upload a 3D model, and mm. then they'll actually print it on some crazy high-tech machine. And, technology! Yes, technology. And he has these dice that are actually really cool. Each face is like a skull, um, and but the number of teeth represents the number on ah. the die. So like one tooth, you know, one number one, six teeth, six, and it's very cool. So uh, if you want, the some movie's awesome. Dice, yes, if you want some custom dice, check it. He also has a couple other things like some uh, uh, Cthulhu Mythos models, like Nyar Lothotep, mm. Amigo. Yeah, the uh, the bloody tongue model. I've seen. Yeah, that. yeah. Um, it, very very cool stuff. So uh, what was your next one? And well, the, the next one is a movie. Yeah. That I. Uh, recently purchased it's you probably you know, i don't know you probably would have heard of it. it's a actually i think it's a bootleg dvd i bought of on ebay on uh amazon yeah ebay sorry on a uh, videodrome yeah james woods really weird david cronenberg movie yeah all hail the new flesh all hail the new flesh uh, your chest is a vcr yeah apparently and your hand is a gun uh or a meat gun or something or no is that that was a uh, existence it was, it was a it was, yeah it was a gun yeah, the gun fused with his hand, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, fun stuff, good times. But maybe uh, it's, yeah, it's and you know, I'll I'll come back to this in my other one. Oh, okay. Um, next, I have Amnesia: Dark Descent. It's a computer game. I just started playing. I got it on Steam a while ago, um, on a sale, and it's a first-person game, but it's not a shooter because you don't have any guns in it. Uh, you wake up in a gothic castle and you have amnesia. And uh, you apparently wrote yourself a letter saying, you need to kill Alexander. Your name is Daniel. You need to kill this guy Alexander. He's somewhere in the castle. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Oh, also there's an unkillable monster chasing you. Alright. Uh, have fun. Um, and it has great sanity mechanics. I like call Cthulhu video game, but better. Um, and it has a lot of mechanics on hiding uh, opening doors, like you can open doors a crack and see if there's a monster through that. Um, if you stay in the darkness too long, you can start going crazy. Um, it's uh, like I've I've just been playing for like a few hours, and there's already I've seen bugs crawl th- uh, through my screen and stuff like that. Um, you know, vision starts shaking. It's it's very. I've only seen one monster, so it's very fun. Nice. Um, and it's cheap. It's on Steam. It's like ten or twenty bucks at most, and that's when it's not on sale. There are lots of sales. Because it's Steam, because they're digital crack pushers. I mean, that, that's what they are. Oh, yeah. They are. Seriously. Oh, my God. They're so good at selling that shit. Uh, what was your next one? Uh, next one was another movie, uh, not by David, Cronen- David Cronenberg, but v- very David Cronenberg-like, which was The Brain, which was a... Uh, yeah. Actually, a, you know, remember the movie um, Reanimator? Yeah. You know, the guy that played the uh, scientist of whom... Uh, uh, Herbert West decapitated. Yeah, he plays the bad guy in this one. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah, there, it's like this, it's good that he's saying it. Yeah, it's like this cable, like this uh, self improvement cable access show. Yeah, is it actually uh, like basically taking brain waves from people, mind controlling them to feed this brain that's slowly growing? And then the, I hate it when that happens. Yeah, then it, of course develops. You know, apparently it has eyes and a mouth too. Of course, because brains bigger, need mouths. Yeah. and the bigger know. it gets, it you know, it, of course, starts eating people. What I like is. The weird hallucinations it can make people experience. Oh yeah, which you know, it's the kind of effects that why I love eighties horror movies. <laughs> I love you know the actual you know the all the effects are real. Like the monster's hand is coming through the wall, and you can see it, and it's real. Nice. Uh, so that I, I will always have a soft spot. Like God, the Fly was one of my favorites of the eighties. Jeff Goldblum, yes, yes, yes. Um, I liked him in uh, uh, Killing Hipsters, that Charles Bronson movie, you know, yeah. where he kills Kill hipsters. <laughs> 
Give me is, that, is that a retro coat? No, it's today. No, it's, is that a vintage coat, man? No, it's a right now coat. <laughs> um, so anyways, uh, I have another one. Um, Theory of International Politics and Zombies. Um, it's a book Ross about... Ross bought a book involving zombies. <laughs> no, this is a shock, right? Waka waka. Um, <laughs> it describes how uh, like various political theories... And sociological and psychological, what would happen if zombies were real, if they started showing up? You know, would there be a zombie rights movement? Uh, how would it affect society, religion, and all kinds of stuff? And it's a, a slim volume. I've only started reading it, but it's very entertaining. Uh, and it's very informative, too. The guy really thought this stuff out. So um, if you're curious, I mean, zombie stories are always focused on the immediate, the here and now. Um, and I like looking at the greater picture, the larger picture, you know? Um, so yeah. What would this do with the economy? And Exactly. How or, would it? Well, what would neoconservatives have to say about zombies? I mean, would that be proof we have to invade Iran? Probably. Yeah. Or, like, or, or, like, or would those be the ideal worker? Yeah, exactly. Tireless and don't need money. Yep. Uh, I'm sure Zizek would have something to say about it. Um, and, and his spittle-inducing voice. Um, and did you have any... Well, actually, Caleb has a couple of uh, uh, shout-outs. Um, I'll just mention one more. Uh, Three-word phrase, a webcomic. It's a humorous comic strip, and it's just got silliness. And um, my favorite one is... Uh, the kid, the first panel, the kids are playing like, "Oh, the floor is made of lava." Second panel shows them that they've made a, they've tied one of the kids up and thrown him on the carpet as a sacrifice, <laughs> you know. And we must make a sacrifice. And the third panel shows that an ice cream truck is driven into a tree right outside their house, showing that you know their little faith has been paid off. The sacrifices work. So, anyways, Caleb. Uh, yeah. Speaking of zombies. Um, yeah. There's a flash game on Newgrounds now, Newgrounds now called Rebuild, and it's a zombie real-time strategy game. So you are in charge of this little caged compound of humans, uh, you know, prepared against the onslaught, and you have to, you know, scavenge for food and build housing and keep everyone from going insane. And you know, eventually you can shows. draft a yeah, you can draft a constitution. You can you know cure zombieism. There's lots of ways to win. Uh, it's a really clever little flash game uh, that's pretty much like, you know, so you want to play the latest story arc of The Walking Dead. Here you go. Uh, you, you have to deal with all this. Uh, it's called Rebuild. Uh, it's on Newgrounds. It's it's really fun. Uh, it's, it's a good way to kill and four or five hours where you should be doing something else. Um, <laughs> what are you talking about? And, Gaming uh, is more important than Yeah, all. pretty much. Yeah. And then uh, I mentioned Andrew Vox earlier. He's yeah. a noir writer. Um, he's really good. I suggest starting off with his short stories, uh, which is in this collection called Born Bad. But he's written a lot of standalone novels called uh, like The Getaway Man and Last Train Leaving. You also mentioned Haiku. Sheila and a novel called Haiku. Um, just he's by day. He also has a, his main moneymaker is this series of novels called The Burke Novels uh, about this private investigator. Um, but uh, he's a child advocate by day, a uh, child advocate lawyer. He has an eye patch on his author's po- photo. You know, he is someone you would roll to play <laughs> in a game. Um, so he, he can't do anything to the horrible child molesters and abusers he does in you know his job every day. So his fiction is sort of a release like that. So imagine you know <laughs> an episode of SVU if they just got sick of it and raided the armory and went out and cleaned the streets. Like like players would do. Yeah, like players would well, do. Yeah. Um, it, and it's fun noir stuff. It gets pretty uh, twisted, so I like that. And then uh, 
I mentioned Thomas Ligotti, you know, the Lovecraft's yeah. uh, reincarnation. So. Um, I have his uh, collection, Songs of a Dead Dreamer, um, and I really like that. Some of his stuff is, there's one uh, he did about uh, Harlequins that was in, um, I can't remember, there's, there's one called the Cthulhu 2000, it's like a uh, Cthulhu mythos anthology. Uh, of modern writers and he's in there and Harlequin I really like uh, Songs of Dead Dreamer is really good too um, but I haven't read the Tenebrae uh, Teatro Grotesco Teatro uh, Grotesco it's uh, another short stories I mean I mean it's not like rah or something's coming to eat me scary yeah. it's very dreamlike and almost poetic cosmic dread and yeah. very anticlimactic and, yeah uh, but so it's it's a special taste uh, you can't read a lot of it in one sitting yeah. you get pretty sad um, yeah, apparently he's got a book out now called "The Conspiracy Against the Human Race," which is like a nonfiction philosophy text. That from I I really want to read it, but it's supposed to be like the most horrifying thing ever written on according to the Amazon reviews, because uh, it's just like you know philosophical, ethical, logical justifications for you know humanity being an accident and your life being meaningless. Uh, All right. Uh, so yeah, I, I mean it's a good guy to write horror. If, um, if he honestly believes There's one so. novel I have of his. I haven't had a chance to pick it up used. It was cheaply called My Work Is Not Yet Done that I've wanted to finish. I just, I'm horrible at finishing novels. Uh, about a corporate worker who starts going crazy, starts hearing a voice in his head. And, you know, <laughs> Sounds fun like stuff. Good, yeah, yeah so. exactly. Um, uh, that's my shout out. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, finally, we have our anecdote. Uh, also, yeah. Hi. Yes, yeah. also by Caleb. So uh, why don't you regale us with your... Uh... Okay, um, little setup. I run an after... Immerse us. Yeah, I'm immersing <laughs> you. Uh, I, I run an after-school program for, for drawing and making comic books for my kids at my high school. And uh, they just draw. So And, you know, they asked my advice on, like, paneling and stuff because I couldn't draw a stick figure. But, yeah. you know, I know how comics work. Have you gotten Scott McCloud books for them? Yeah, Scott McCloud and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we do little exercises and lessons. Um, so we they work on that. But basically I'm just babysitting because they got to work. Uh, you know, I, I can't interfere too much because they've got to draw and that takes time. So I was down there working on uh, the next game I want to run and I was writing it. And uh, I had my Eclipse phase book with me. And uh, my kid was asking me what I was doing, and I said, "Well, I'm I'm trying to write this game so I can, you know." And I always I always mention whenever I get paid to do something for writing, yeah, because uh, it gets kids excited. I neglect to mention that I'm getting like a stick of gum and bus fare, but I always try to mention I'm getting paid because it gets them excited. Yes. Yeah, uh, so I say I'm going to get paid to write this thing for this role playing convention, and uh, they're like, "Oh, they're cool!" And they were looking at the art and the books, so they thought that was really cool. Um, that they could do that for a living, you yeah. know, draw and role-playing book. And eventually I had this crowd of me, around me, because, you know, they're all nerds like I was in high yeah. school, and we're talking <laughs> about role-playing games. But I co-run it with an art teacher, and she's uh, a 50-year-old mother. Um, you know, she's nearing retirement age. And she came around to see what we were working on, and I told her I was working on a role-playing game. And she's like, well, what's that? And I'm like, okay, kids, sit down. We're gonna we're gonna teach uh, Miss Q. I'm gonna give her a name, Miss Q. Uh, what a role playing game is. Um, so is this like when you don't, you play on the boards? I'm like, well, that's not really a board game. So uh, so I write on the whiteboard uh, strength, dexterity, intelligence, and charisma. And then I write a, a little normed curve. I do ten. I do eight uh, six four two. Um, and I'm like, okay, Miss Q. Put put uh, your stats where you want them. 
She's like, what do you mean? I'm like, okay, well, each number is going to go into one of these stats, and it will tell you how good you are at a certain thing. He's like, well, I want to be smart. No, good teacher. So I put eight in intelligence. She's like, I want to be strong. So I'm like, all right, all right, six in strength. And she's like, uh, I will be uh, – next one's charisma. So I put four, and then I, I put uh, two in dexterity. I'm like, all right, so you're Miss Q the wise or or Miss Q the clumsy, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so And she gets, like, offensive when I refer to that. I'm like, your character, not you. Not you. <laughs> um, so I go, okay, your daughter's been kidnapped by a troll. He's taken her to the other side of a bridge. If you don't go get her, the troll's going to eat her, and she's going to die. What do you do? Like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you want to go get your daughter back, or you're just going to let her die? That would be horrible. For and she's like, no, I'll get my daughter. So I'm like, all right, all right, you're at the bridge. The troll is standing in the middle of the bridge. He is... Uh, he is uh, not going to let you pass. What are you going to do? She's like, can, can I kill him? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, you could try. Um, he's a troll. He's really strong. Uh, it's In a role-playing game, you want to play towards your character's strengths. And so you, you're really smart. She's like, well, can I, I idea him? <laughs> and I'm like, well, here's this. And I have a 10-sided die, for I am a good nerd. And I give it to her. And I'm like, okay, so if you roll under your stat, if you roll eight or under, I'll give you an idea on how to beat the troll. And so she does. And I'm like, all right, there's a, there's a cooking fire nearby. So you can get a torch from the cooking fire, and the wood the wooden bridge is also there. So while you won't be able to get your daughter, the troll will die, and it's not worth one meal to die and you know never come back because he's standing in the middle of the bridge. She's like, okay, so I'll threaten him with it. I'm like, yeah, all right. So you go across, and you save your daughter, and you save the day, and everything's great. Uh, so congrats, you won your first role-playing game. And she's like, well, what's on the other side of the bridge? <laughs> and I'm like, um, I don't know, some trees, uh, roads. Could we make a life there? And so at this point, it's starting to get a little weird. And the kids are like cocking their eyebrows. I'm like, what? Uh, what do you mean? He's like, well, could we live there? Could we live on that side of the bridge? I'm like, yeah, there's, there's another town a few miles away. Well, what kind of town? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, they have good schools. Uh, there's this is a, actually very logical players. The, yeah, there's an excellent public transit system. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Low uh, property taxes. The, yeah, yeah. The love, the lovely town B. And she's like, I'm gonna set the, I'm gonna set the bridge on fire. I'm like, wait, you're just gonna wow. burn the troll anyway? He's like, yeah, yeah. He stole my daughter. He can't get away with that. She has a player. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just kind of baffled. I'm like, okay, you. You set it on fire. What happens? It, it burns. Is the troll dead? I'm like, yeah, he's screaming. He's on fire. I'll yell, you never mess with my daughter again. I'm like, okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> the bridge collapses into the raging rapids. Uh, drowning is a sweet relief after the hellish retribution you brought down upon that evil troll. You skip into the distance. Your daughter loves you more now. Every you know, The end. She's like, hmm. So that's a role-playing game, huh? I'm like, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the numbers get more complicated, but... <laughs> and she's like, oh, I don't think I'd like it. And then we just ended the club and she left. And that was it. That how was... did the other players, or the other uh, uh, students... The how kids did... were baffled. Uh, yeah. they, they couldn't even laugh. They were so <laughs> surprised. I, I couldn't either. I was just like, what? What? 
Can we make a life there? Yeah. See uh, now you can with this you can you can you could make a theory saying player gamer logic is a result of playing the game that anyone who plays a game becomes infected with it that they lose all touch with reality and then they turn into murderous asocial. You yeah, know. gamer logic is a deadly meme. Yeah, uh, it takes over the mind of even yeah older fifty year old art teachers. Uh, but I yeah. must kill them and <laughs> drinks drink my beer from their skulls. Just you know? burn him. I, I just love it. Yeah. So I mean that that's a hell of an anecdote. <laughs> it, was, it was weird. It, it would it would I would love to have like do simple role playing scenarios with older like people who've never played before and see how bloodthirsty they get. You know, if not constrained by society or laws. I mean, like you could make yeah, Road Warrior would happen because art teachers have no problems murdering trolls. You know, pretty much. At least that one didn't. Or Lord Humongous. Yeah. yeah, it got it got pretty messed up. I didn't I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, uh, and it kind of makes me want to design a system that could be played just from with you know two minutes of explanation. So, <laughs> pretty much, uh, yeah. So, all right. With that, uh, I mean, what else? That w- I was immersed in a world oh, of fantasy. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. And I think that our teacher was. That's why she was role playing <laughs> such a you know vengeful character. Role playing. Uh, all right. So uh, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Oh.